freedom. It's a big words, treatise. Uh, it's like his, his manifesto about freedom as a Christian. What is freedom? And we talked last week a bit just about how we get confused in America, especially about freedom, because it's like it's a word we use all over the place, all the time. But what a lot of our freedoms are, are shadow freedoms. They're freedoms that actually lead to new slaveries. And so Christ has called us into a different type of freedom. So I wanted to start the sermon with something kind of totally off, off in left field, because that's exactly how the story came to me, was from left field. A few, uh, it was, I guess, probably after last Sunday's service, I think it was, Heidi and I were together in the car, and we pull in the driveway and park the car, and sometimes we'll just sit in the car for a second before you go in the house. I don't know if you ever do that, but it's like... I'm home. I have to go inside. There's dishes and this and that. So we sat in the car and we kind of looked at each other and it was quiet. And Heidi just looked at me. And she goes, I have to tell you something. And I'm like, uh-oh. And she says, one of these days when I'm preaching, she's already dying. She goes, one of these days when I'm preaching, I'm going to cuss. <laughs> just like that. Just being completely out of the blue. Just like, Okay. I, I'm just not going to be able to help it, she says. <laughs> and I've, like, known this woman for 22 years. We, yesterday was our 22nd anniversary. So I've known her for, like, 25 years, I think. And she is not a cusser. It's just not a thing she does. Except for sometimes when it's, there's no other way to make her point. She'll, she'll cuss, and you go, oh, gosh, you're really. And she's like, I get so passionate when I'm preaching sometimes. One of these days, I'm just I'm going to cuss in the middle of my sermon, and everybody's going to be shocked. And, and she says, I'm sorry. That's what she just looked and said, I'm sorry. What am I supposed to do with that, ladies and gentlemen? Like, somebody tell me. What am I? I, said, I just said, exactly. It's what I did. Accept it. I said, okay. Thank you. And then I went in the house and did the dishes. <laughs> One of these days, I'm going to cuss. And so the reason I wanted to share that story, which is really out in left field, is because actually we're today we're talking about cursing. Uh, it's kind of bizarre, huh? You know, it's like, in a way, it's like, it's one of those things that people do, and then they pretend they don't do it at church, and they don't talk about it at church, and then at church, we don't really say that we curse or cuss or anything like that. It's just, it's not spoken about. And so we want to clear some of that up because the Apostle Paul today in the passage that we're going to look at in Galatians chapter 1 uses the word curse twice, accursed or cursing somebody twice. So in the Bible, there's two kinds of cursing going on, okay? Cursing number one is the strong language sort of cursing, right? That's the, the F word, the S word, the other words that start with other letters that usually only have four letters. Yeah, the, the, the bad words, right? So I grew up in a church where like, any form of cursing was completely bad and wrong. Like, if you did it, you were so in trouble because the book of Ephesians says, let no evil, which the word actually is unwholesome, no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear, Ephesians 4.29. So that's, that's type one cursing in the Bible. And type two cursing in the Bible is more almost like Harry Potter style, style cursing, you know, where it's, it's, yeah, like, I curse you, which is actually what Paul says. My favorite form of cursing that I learned, I was like reading these books by C.F. Forrester, they're sailing books. And I absolutely love them, like 17th century sailors, English, British sailors. And whenever one of the sailors would like not set the rigging in the sails right, or, you know, not turn the wheel just right, the, cur the captain would say to them, embrace yourselves brace yourselves. He would say, damn your eyes, man, curse you. And that was like, 
That's cursing. It's wishing the very worst and the evil on another person. You know, he's wishing blindness on the guy. So those are the two types. There's strong language, and you have the, the cursing, wishing the very worst on somebody. Now, I want to talk about the strong language part, because that's not actually in the text. The strong language thing, again, we go around and we, many of us, I can't say all of us and all the time, but we will sometimes, you know, let it slip, the S word or the F word or this word or that word. And we don't like to do that as a church, because as Christians, we don't use that kind of unwholesome talk. Huh. We, but we don't do it at church. We do it at home, but we pretend not to do it at church. And what I think has happened is we've created this unspoken set of rules and expectations around being a Christian that have very little to do with the Bible sometimes and become an unhealthy weight and a new slavery upon the people of God. And this morning, I want to give you some freedom. It's not biblically wrong to cuss. Now, I'm John, I'm not giving your kids permission to cuss. <laughs> Hazel, I did not say you could cuss. You have to talk to your parents about these things. Jonas and Deborah, I did not give you permission to cuss. Okay, you, you clear? But I am saying to all the adults in the room that the choice of your la the language is yours with some conditions placed on it. This is what Ephesians is talking about. It says that no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only that which is useful for building up as there is need so that your words may give grace to those who hear them. The problem with cursing is that often it's used to badger, demean, tear down, or express explosive anger. And that is not what we are called to do as followers of Jesus, right? That's actually living out of a slavery to our emotions. It's living out of a slavery uh, uh, over somebody else trying to dominate or badger somebody else into behavior. So as long as the use of strong language is done thoughtfully, like it has a purpose. It's not just, it's not just habitually thrown out. At every, I, I knew one guy when I was doing tree work who would use the F word so frequently that I would literally have to try to delete it out of the sentence so I could figure out what in the world he was trying to say. It's like, you know, you could put, take the F word out and put like is in there or any other normal word like sandwich, and it really wouldn't make any sense at all. And it didn't make sense when he used it. So it's not thoughtful. It's just coming out of him, and it's just flowing out of this broken place of anger inside of him. Christians, we're called to step back, take a beat, think. Think before we speak and thoughtfully use our words. And secondly, kindly. It's used to build up. It's used to make a point. It's used to bring peace to those who are hearing your language. So have freedom in your language. This is like a side sermon, all right? This is like a this is bonus free sermon for you today. Like you came for one, you got two. Lucky you. Yay, I got two sermons this week. Bonus sermon. You are free to use whatever language, because language is all, it's just, it's it's arbitrary, and we can redeem it and use it for God's kingdom, as long as we use it thoughtfully and kindly. Now, the reason I wanted to bring that up is because, like I said, we have these unspoken rules, right, about how we're to be as followers of Jesus. You know, we don't drink, we don't smoke, we don't chew, and we don't date girls that do, right? <laughs> Does anybody remember that? Like, that's what you used to tell me when I was a kid. 
And there's all these don'ts, and they're unspoken. We don't really say them in church, and we live, when we come in the doors of the church, a different sort of life than we live when we're outside the church. Like, when inside the church, oh, we don't drink at church. But when we're outside the church, yeah, I'll have a drink. I'm free to have a, a, a glass of wine or a beer. Oh, I, we don't cuss. We don't cuss at church. But outside the church, you know, I'm free to say this thing. Why would you ever come to a place where you are less free than you are outside the doors? Whoa. That's not even in my notes, guys. That's like bonus sermon three right there. Why would anybody ever come to a place where they are put in bondage and chains and can't live freely, any more free than they are outside the church doors? We are meant to be the freest people on the planet. And that doesn't mean that we use our freedom to go under new bondages and yokes, that we're going to be raging alcoholics, that we're going to get drunk and we're going to harm one another, that we're going to go to abusive language and hurt each other. But kindly and thoughtfully, we're going to engage with everything that good thing that God has given us. And language is a good thing. Now, the second kind of cursing, which is really what my sermon is about, <laughs> is that now we're going to sermon three. Ready, John? He's like, okay, now I'm ready for you to get to the point. The third kind of cursing is the, the Harry Potter cursing, right? The, I wish the very worst thing upon you. And it, it, it doesn't sound very nice. And this is also something that Christians just don't do, right? We're supposed to want the best for everybody. We're supposed to, to love everybody. And so we want the best for them. But here we have Paul using this word accursed, which is like, he's like saying, I curse you twice. And I want to read this to you. It's in Ephesians, uh, not Ephesians, I'm in Galatians chapter 1, and I'm going to read verses 6 through 12. That's our passage for today. And it goes like this. I am astonished that you so quickly, that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are confusing you and want you to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if an angel from heaven should proclaim to you a gospel contrary to what we proclaim to you, let that one be cursed. We, as we have said before, so I now repeat, if anyone claims to you, proclaims to you a gospel contrary to what you received, let that one be accursed. I am... Am I now seeking human approval or God's approval? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still pleasing people, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel that was proclaimed by me is not of human origin. For I did not receive it from a human source, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus, I pray today that you would uh, reveal to us the message that is hidden in here in this scripture for us to discover. The thing that you were speaking to this church through these verses written by Paul so, so long ago. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the goal of Christian life is not to enter into new slavery or new yokes. It's that we would be free. It's that we would walk in freedom. And, you know, we live in a world, we live in a, in a country that just proclaims freedom left and right, that we have all of these freedoms, that these truths are self-evident, you know, that we're to govern ourselves, and all, all these freedoms that come to us. And in a place that we talk so much about freedom, it is, it's conspicuously and sadly lacking in the experience of freedom. People don't experience freedom but instead live underneath weights and rules and laws that we create for ourselves and bondages that are given to us because of some of our freedoms. 
God gave Israel a law after they were rescued from slavery. And it was designed to teach them the difference between living in slavery and living in freedom. But they eventually turned that law into new slavery, right? But the whole point of the law was to teach them what it means to live free. It showed them just how enslaved they really were. When you say, don't hate your neighbor, and they hate their neighbor, they discover they're enslaved to that. They can't just be free to love and be free to have anger or concerns or disagreements, but to still love. It's impossible to break free from that bondage of sin. That's what we talked about last week. And we need to be given freedom, real freedom, not just shadow freedoms, but freedom that leads us to real, true life in Christ. We were made to travel light, and that's the freedom that Jesus offers us. That's the good news that we talked about last week. That's the gospel, right? That Jesus breaks the power of sin so that, not that we won't fail again, not that we won't trip up, not that we won't stumble, not that we won't suddenly cuss and, and it's like not appropriate, not that we won't get drunk one time. It's, we are set free from the power of sin so that we can walk in grace and in discover continual levels of freedom that we can walk and become more and more and more and more free, really free. And it's not predicated on the government giving it to you. It's not predicated on a document. It's not predicated on laws or rules, but it is predicated entirely on grace. Grace. But this is a hard road. Walking in real, true freedom is not easy to do. I mean, it is really not easy to do. It comes with all kinds of responsibilities. It is so multifaceted that we are living in one freedom and totally blind to another place where we are enslaved. And that's why it's a journey toward freedom. It's a road that we walk. It's not a destination that we arrive at. In Christ, who the Son has set free, is free indeed. You are free indeed. And yet, sometimes carry weights on our shoulders and our backs, and it's heavy, and it's long, and we have to continue walking and continue laying things down, continue to be free from the things that trip us up. And that's why we have a person like Paul, an apostle from Jesus, who is our guide, our, journey, our guide on this journey, a guide that is, is here to, to lead us. He's about 2,015 years old this year. That's his 2015th birthday. And it's kind of crazy to think about somebody being that old and having anything to say to us in today's age, and yet he does. He is our guide for this journey into freedom, and that's what the whole book of Galatians is about. So now we have Paul, and as you listen to those verses, you don't hear him as a kindly guide, right? Did you guys catch just how angry his words sounded? I mean, this guy is ticked off, right? He says, I am astonished. He's talking to people who, who are walking the path of freedom with him. And he says, I am astonished that you were so quickly deserting the one who called you. He's talking about leaving him, that you're deserting me, and you're deserting the gospel of Christ. The one that was preached to you that set you free, you are picking up and taking up a new gospel. Not that there is another one, he says. Like, he's like, I can't believe you turned to a new gospel. Not that there is another gospel. There's only one gospel, but you've managed to find another one from somebody. And you're picking it up, and it is leading you not to freedom, but to slavery. I'm going to say that again. It is leading you not to freedom, but into a new slavery. And it's in this context that Paul says, anybody who preaches a gospel 
other than the one that you heard, even if it's an angel. I don't care if, you know, it's Rick Warren from Saddleback Church, or I don't care if it's Barack Obama, a president of the United States, a uh, former president. I don't care if it's the current president of the United States. I don't care if it's, I mean, you, anybody, the, high, the, the professor of, of, you know, astrophysics at some university. I don't care what kind of expert they are. I don't care if they have wings and a flashing sword of light. If they come and they preach something to you, they tell you something different than the gospel, which is that Jesus is the only way to be set free from sin and the slavery to sin. Let that person be cursed. He is ticked off. <laughs> he is angry. He is angry preacher. These are the, the Southern Baptist preachers I grew under that would shout at us every week and tell us how awful we were. He is angry. And he's shouting at them, let them be cursed. But the thing is, he's cur he is angry with good reason. He is angry with good reason because what Paul is doing is, <laughs> this, this sermon is not just about cursing, but it's about heresy. I love that word, don't you guys? Heresy. Heretics, right? Back in the, in the, the third and fourth century, what did we do with heretics? We burned them at the stake and it would get really exciting, these heretics, and actually led to some of the very worst behavior of the church, <laughs> the very most unloving behavior of the church. But heresy is a serious, serious issue, and it's something we don't really talk about at church. Heresy is this. It's very, very simply. It's just a lie about God. That's what heresy is. It's not a misinterpretation of Scripture. It's not, it's not, a, it's not a misunderstanding about what's going on in here. It's not even a difference of, you know, we can have two different views on a lot of things. Like, what's the point of baptism? We can have different views on that. We can have different views on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We can have different views on, uh, you know, what Jesus meant when he was teaching about seeds and soils. This is a lie about God. That's what a heresy is. It's a lie about God. And the reason that Paul is so ticked off about it is not just a lie about God, but that a lie about God becomes a lie about life, a lie about how we live. Someone is going around to the churches in Galatia, and I've got a little map of Galatia. So this is Galatia. There's the Mediterranean Sea. That's Greece down there in the below where it says Salamis and Paphos. It's, it's this area of the world, okay? Rome is off to the, that way. I don't know. That's your, your left, my right. And these are all the churches that are up in the area of Galatia, which is really interesting. Saul is from Tarsus, which is kind of Cilicia, kind of Galatia. It's that area up there. This is his hometown. This is his home churches. And when Paul was sent out by the churches in Jerusalem, this is where he went. He went home, Ephesus, Corinth, all of these places. And he was, he was planting churches along the way. Sometimes he got stopped and stuck in a place because he was sick or wounded or imprisoned or whatever. And he was always telling people, always telling them, look, it is only Jesus that sets us free. And Jesus gives us freedom, real freedom from our sin and our brokenness, that God loves us so much that he wants to set us free. And he has gone out and he has put his life on the line and he is preaching this truth and now he is in, in prison somewhere and he hears from one of the disciples, one of his followers, that somebody else has come in and started preaching something different. And they're telling them that, you know what, in order to be a Christian, you have to become Jewish. And not only do you have to be Jewish, but if you're a guy, you got to be circumcised. And everybody else, they've got to start eating kosher. So pig is off the menu. Now, that alone is bad news. I mean, pork chops, bacon, sausage, all of these things, you can't have those and be a Christian anymore. And, and Paul is going, no, 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 no. You can't, you can't have it that way. That is a new, that's a new slavery. Now you're going to go back underneath this law that doesn't set you free. It just shows you how not free you are. 
He's concerned for the truth of who God is and what God says. He's also concerned for these people who he loves very much. He says, if you, as you read through this book, in like 419, he says, my little children, I'm, I'm again in child labor for you. Like, this is how much he loves them, as though he was actually birthing them. He says over and over again that they're children of God, friends, fellows. This is the people he loves are being taught a lie, not just a heresy, but a twisted truth, a lie about God that will lead to a lie about life. He ends the book with talking about how he's writing in large letters, and it's because he has gone through so much that he has been hurt. He is, he is arthritic and broken. If you, well, I'll tell you about his story a little bit here in a minute, but he is, he is arthritic and old, and usually you'd have somebody else write it, but he is so upset and so concerned that he sits down and he pens this letter in his own hand, all on his own, in pain, in pain in the soul, but in pain in the hands, writing this letter to them. He's already sacrificed so much. And why is, why is it such a big deal? Why did he sacrifice so much in the first place? Why is Paul so angry about this heresy? And it's because that Paul, at one time in his life, believed a lie about God. And that led to living a lie in his life about who God was. What you believe about God may be the most important thing about you because it's not just up here. It comes out in your hands. It comes out in your relationships. It comes out in how you, you go through life. It's lived. Paul had a wrong idea about God that led to a career of imprisoning people, killing people who didn't share his ideas. He was, uh, he was the scourge of the church. That's what it says. He was the scourge of church in Acts chapter 7. He was the guy that he, he oversaw executions of the very first Christians. He seized property from people, kicked them out of their homes, took their businesses, their livelihood, and he had prosecuted physical violence against Christians. And what that did is it led to the scattering. In Jerusalem, all these Christians were gathered there, right? The 3,000 that heard uh, Paul and Peter, or Peter preach that first day after uh, the Holy Spirit came. And the church was growing daily, 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 thousands and thousands of Christians. And, and then Paul comes along, and he starts scourging the church, and they have to flee. It was really interesting, though. Get this. You know where they went, all those Christians? They went to this place called Samaria. Remember when Jesus said, I will send you, I want you to go and preach the good news of the gospel to all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. So all of these Christians get sent into Samaria, and they start telling people about the good news of Jesus. And what happens? They start believing. And the church actually grew and expanded despite Paul's best efforts. But he's living this lie and really killing people. He is literally killing people. And then... One day, as he is traveling to Damascus with some papers that were given to him by the temple that allowed him to go and arrest Christians, to kick them out of their homes and out of their businesses, even to stone them if needed, he is, it's the, the book of Acts literally says he is still breathing threats and murder. This is what his lie about God has led him to. He winds up meeting the risen Jesus. He's dried along on his horse, bright light literally out of heaven. Very few people ever get this experience and then the, the blindness of his soul is translated to his physical body. He is blind to who God is, and now he's blind to the whole world. He cannot see anything. And he says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Why are you persecuting me? Knock it off. <laughs> he says, knock it off. 
He says, I want you to go to Antioch and wait there. And so he goes and he meets, and there's this whole story about how he learns the truth. The scales literally fall from his eyes, and he sees the truth of who God is, that God loves people, that God is not out to get people so that they can be good and sorry, but that he's out to get people so that they can be good and joyful, that they can be good and free. That is what God wants to do, and Paul discovers this. He, he moves from this, this uh, relationship to law and to rules and to, to anger and to hatred of anything that seems to be opposite of who God is to this relationship that is personal with God, to no more secondhand faith for Paul. It's a firsthand knowledge of who God really is. He immediately knew that God was not the God that he had been told that he was, that he had been given a lie. God is not against people. He's for them. God's not out to get us. He's out to, to love us. And that changed his life forever. He was, had this false truth about who God was, a heresy, and it led to a lie in life that led to him being violent and hateful and evil. But when Jesus came, it led to a way of life that transformed him forever. And he gave up all the power. He gave up all the position. He gave up all the prestige. And he gave up all the anger and all the hatred and all the hopelessness. And he turned to God and he learned the truth of the good news and began the journey down the road toward freedom. And what that led to is what we find in 1 Corinthians 11. Paul actually lists, and you should read this story sometime. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul tells us what he had to go through over the course of his life, to share this good news with Jesus. He says this, five times I was beaten with whips until I was just short of death. Five times. Three times they used billy clubs on me, and it was an, I was in an inch of my life. I mean, it was really supposed to be a death sentence when he was stoned, but he was stoned, uh, as he once? He was stoned, and they thought he was dead, and then the, the other disciples came and got him, and he was still alive. Three times he was shipwrecked. He was hated by his countrymen and foreigners alike. He endured hunger and thirst, and he was cold and he was naked and imprisoned by the Jews and then the Romans, and eventually he was executed by the Romans. He lived this life not because he felt like God hated people. He gave his life in this way because he knew that God loved them. He loved them. He didn't want anybody to go on living a lie about God. That's the point of heresy. There is enough bad news in our world, isn't there? And Paul was committed to telling people good news. He loved that word, gospel. In his writings, he uses it over 60 times. 60 times, telling people, this is good news, good news. It's not bad news. It's unexpected. It's surprising that God really does love us. We say this at the end of the service, God loves you, and it can be so flippant and so like, oh, God, so love the world. God really does love us. He really does. And he's provided a means of rescue so that we can walk in freedom. Eugene Peterson, in his commentary on Galatians, he said this. He, said, he says that when it comes to the gospel, we can think that it creates this, you know, utopian, idealistic society where we all walk in these happy, free places and nothing bad ever happens to us. But that's not true. He says, none of the things we fear or suffer are untrue. But none has the power to center our lives, to dominate our emotions, or control our destiny. Only God does that. And anyone who tells us something different is lying to us. That's the nature of heresy. 
So the problem that Paul is addressing, the heresy, is that there's this lie about God that he expects you to live in a certain way in order to be accepted by him. In order to be in the family of Jesus, in order to be one of the Christians, you have to live as a Jew. And it's a lie about God that leads them to a new slavery, not just sin, but to the demands of the law that never saved them in the first place. The Galatians are getting hung up on satisfying the demands of this Old Testament law and dictating who can enter into the kingdom of God, the new family of Jesus. And for Paul, that lie is going to become a lie about life. He knows that if they don't get this gospel right in their minds, it'll be a failure to get it right in their lives, that they will continue to try to earn their salvation. They will continue to tell people who is in and who is out, who is loved and who is not loved. Lies about God, uh, sorry, a heresy is a lie about God. It's representing God other than he really and truly is. And Paul says, let that person telling that story be accursed. Curse you. He says, it is evil to tell somebody that God is other than he is. Now, what does this mean for us? I just basically gave you this nice long story about who Paul is and why he's so stinking mad in here. Well, what does this mean for us? It means that it is evil to tell a person that God is an angry tyrant, pounding his fists, ready to smash any sinner he finds. A gospel that is preached from churches across the world, from the stage, that God hates sinners. It is evil to portray God as an angry tyrant. It is evil to tell a person that God is just a senile old man. If there is a God, he is out there, and he doesn't care much about what's going on. He is more concerned about getting his Ovaltine and his vitamins in because he's just old and ancient, and, doesn't, and he's senile, and he doesn't care about what's going on. So we can just do what we want to do, live our life as we want to live. It is evil and wrong to give people a picture of God who is old and senile and disassociated from the world around us. It is evil to tell a person that God is nothing more than an efficient office manager. You're like, I have never heard that preached, Jamie. Nobody has ever said that God is an efficient office manager. This is the God that's compulsively micromanaging our days. This is the God that is making sure we get the right parking spots. This is the God that we, we pray to the genie God where we put the quarter in in our prayer and out comes the answer to our prayer that he has very little concern for what's going on day to day other than what we ask him for. And he is manipulating and controlling and even micromanaging people and the universe so that it all comes out for his best in the end and really doesn't care much about us. We teach people this by saying, hey, what you do is more important than who you are. So come to church and serve. Be a Sunday school teacher. Serve in the media. Be on the worship team. You know, what you do is more important than who you are. God is not an office manager. And God doesn't care about what you do so much as about who you are. And he loves you. It is evil to tell people anything other than who God really is. Every one of these wrong beliefs about God has led to followers of Jesus not walking in a fullness of freedom. It's made angry, judgmental Christians, right? It's led to crusades, to witch trials, to burning heretics at the stake. It's led to pro protests of funerals and LGBTQ people. It leaves the marginalized people of the world out in the cold, the angry, judgmental God who wants people to act right. The crazy God, the, the senile God, it's made stuck Christians, Christians who don't think God cares much about their anxiety, their addictions, their fears, their insecurities, 
that God is doing his thing and I'm living my life and as long as I go to church, he's going to be happy with me. And that is not the God of the Bible. In fact, Paul would say, I am astonished that you so quickly have turned to a different gospel. The micromanaging God has made Christians joyless, lifeless, efficient, and they care more about duty and religion and dogma than the hearts of the people right around them. People who see themselves and others as not so much people, but tools. Paul would say, I am astonished that you have so quickly turned away from the gospel. Paul uses the strongest words that he can think of to go after people who are teaching these sorts of lies about God. Let them be cursed. I wish every evil, every horrible thing upon you that you would shrivel up and die and go away and blow up in the dust and just disappear because this good news is so good, the world needs it so bad, we don't need any more of your bad news. I feel a little bit when I say this over and over again like the hyenas on The Lion King. You guys remember those? And they said, Mufasa, ooh, say it again. Mufasa, ooh, say it again. You know, like, what is it? Like, cursed, cursed you. Like, ooh, say it again. Curse you, ooh, say it again. Except for, the thing is, as a person who preaches and speaks a whole lot, I have this tendency to tell you about a God that doesn't exist. I have a tendency in my own brokenness and own places where I'm not walking in freedom to present God as angry sometimes. To present God as senile and old and un, you know, uncaring sometimes. To present God as a micromanager when I'm trying to get you to join the ministry of the church and to do something. I have this tendency in me to tell you the things that I see about God that sometimes do not line up with Scripture. And so when I do, curse me. <laughs> I'm cursed. And that part of me needs to die. And that part of you needs to die as well. We are all on the, on the weight, you know, we're all out there being looked at. And we are, people are seeing who God is by who, us, how we live, what we say, each and every single one of us. Which maybe does come back to when we use curse words, right? For using curse words to abuse somebody, what, what view of God were they just given? If we're, if we're telling people, oh, you're a sinner and you're going to hell because you're gay or you're lesbian... What version of God did they just discover? We can tell people, oh, the, you know, democratic politics are alive from the pits of hell. And the people who believe in those democratic politics, what do they hear about God? God's ready to destroy me. The same thing on the other side. Democrats can look into the Republicans and say, oh, because you don't care about the, the orphans. You don't care about the, the immigrants. You, don't care. you want to put, build walls. God, God hates that about you. God hates walls, and he wants free borders and... What are we telling people about God? We can easily spread a heresy by what we say and how we live, what our attitudes are, what our emotions show people. We are telling people all the time, this is who God is. My question for you is the God that you are giving other people, the God of love, the God who really loves them, the God who was willing to give his life for them despite whether they were LGBTQ, Republican or Democrat, straight or gay, Jew, Gentile, male, female, didn't matter, borders didn't matter, religions didn't matter what they thought. He loved them so much that he gave his only son. If we believe lies about God, we will live lies about God, and we will share lies about God. 
We will be imprisoned in nervous fear. We will live out of compulsive selfishness. We will be emotionless and efficient. But when we live the truth, when we accept that love that God has for us, we can be changed. We can be transformed. We can begin to live freely, not apprehensively, not questioning every step, not reticent to walk in freedom, but living in grace. We can live freely with open hands, not filled with hungry greed. We can live freely, not obsessed with our guilt, not mired in shame or driven by fear. We can live free as a bird. This is a, uh, this is a quote from, not Dallas Willard, his name just escaped me off, Richard Foster. Free as, a, free as a bird, light as a feather, blown about on every wind of grace. That's that picture of freedom, that beautiful picture of freedom. Not striving, not working, not burdened, not angry, not upset, not demanding, not, it's free, it's love, it's grace, it's peace, and that's the good news. So, my question to you this morning, I kind of have two, and I didn't put them up there, so you get to choose which one you want to think about for a minute, (laughs) or maybe the Holy Spirit will speak to you about one of these two questions. The first question is this. What lie about God have you been giving others by how you live? That's one. The second one is like it. What lie about God have you believed because somebody else has handed it to you? So what lie about God are you telling by how you live? Or what lie about God have you believed because somebody else has lived it for you? I'm going to just let the Holy Spirit speak to you for a minute on this. And this is why heresy is so important, why we need to talk about it. But we're going to be silent for a minute and let God reveal truth to you. Let's be, be silent before the Lord. Jesus, we live in a noisy and confusing world. We live in a divided world, especially when it comes to you. There are a lot of voices saying a lot of things about who you are and what you think. God, help us as your people to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to know a truth from a lie. And God, to live in truth, to be people who walk in truth. And as we do, God, to walk in freedom. God, I pray that your mercy would guide us, that your grace would guide us, and that your love would be the thing that informs our actions and our decisions, how we see ourselves and how we see other people. Jesus, set us free to live the life that you 
have designed for us a life of freedom, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of gentleness, of self-control. God, a, a life of blessing, not just for ourselves, but for the world. God, I pray that you would open us up, open our eyes and our hearts and our minds up to an expansion of your love and not, not a, a reduction. May we see you fully and truly as we walk this road of freedom. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? I want to close by singing the doxology, which is the ancient song that says, thank you, God, for every good, good thing that you give us. And this news that Jesus saves us from sin is the best thing that he has ever given us, his son. So let's sing together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. You guys sound good. Go in the grace of our Lord to live that song out. Go live that song. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Call everybody to praise him and show him his love. Because if you've not heard it before, Jesus loves you right where you're at. And he wants you to walk in freedom. Go walk in that freedom and that love. And Heidi and I love you too. We'll see you next week.